Hey, good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Why don't you all stand up? We're going to worship God together in a mighty way. Dom is going to lead us on this one song about his amazing grace. so blessed to have you in worship with us today and if you are visiting for the first time we would love to get to know you better uh, please take a moment to fill out the connect with us slip it's in the back of your bulletin if you give us your weekly uh, if you give us your email address 
uh, we will put you on our weekly email list so you can be kept informed of all of the wonderful things God is doing in and through this church. We want to come alongside you and help you take uh, those next steps in your walk with Christ wherever you are in your faith journey. And if uh, you would also visit our guest information table out on the patio, we have a Bible for you and other goodies to, um, that you can leave with today and go home and read through so you can know more about who we are and um, more how you can fit into this big story here. Um, a couple things that I wanted to just highlight. First of all, um, we are a church, as you know, that is rooted in God's word. And we believe that only through studying God's word do we discover who God is, who we are, and just more about that abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And one of the ways that we... Um, educate and help you understand the key foundational truths of, a, of the Christian faith is through the class Pathways. Pathways is held a couple times a year and it starts next week here at the church. Diane and Phil Jemmett have been leading this class for us for the last um, few years. They, um, and many people have gone through it now and it's just transformational, truly. Um, Diane and Phil go way back to Campus Crusade where they led Bible studies on uh, university campuses. And then they now lead our Wednesday night Bible study that's very well attended. They'll be doing Acts um, this year starting September 20th. I'll give that a plug too. But Pathways starts next Sunday in room two during the second service, 1030 to 1145. And it's open to new believers, non-believers, and mature believers who just want to know more how to articulate what they believe, why they believe it. So it's a fabulous class. Um, you'll learn more in your bulletin. There's a sign-up sheet out on the patio. Um, please join us for uh, the next eight weeks in that um, series, okay? And then um, secondly, we uh, are also a church rooted in prayer. And we know that many of you parents uh, you've just sent your kids back to uh, school, and with that becomes, uh, with that comes new territory and fresh challenges, and um, you know there's all sorts of doubts as a parent, and just worries and anxieties. And we want to come alongside you and strengthen you in um, your wisdom and your courage as your kids go into the school year, because ultimately. We want them to come out of their school year just with Christ rooted in the center of their lives. And so we want to lift you up in prayer. We're going to have a, a parent prayer night here on October 6th. This is for um, parents of infants through 18-year-olds. Um, we will have a program that evening for those up to fifth grade. And it's a free dinner and time of prayer and coming together um, where we'll pray over your kids and over you as parents. So um, the details are in your bulletin. Um, please come and join us for what promises to be a very meaningful, uh, rich evening, okay? Uh, that's all I have right now. Let's stand, greet the people around us, and we will continue worshiping the Lord together.
so good to be together as a church and come together. If you're a guest, we are so excited that you're here. We're so glad that you can check out our community, and I hope that you see a people of hope. 
And we're going to sing the song. It's not a trite line. It says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. And I need hope this morning. Anybody, can I get an amen? Anybody need hope this morning? Okay, yeah. I need hope as a dad. I need hope as a husband. I need hope as a follower of Christ. Uh, I need hope as a friend, as a son, a brother. Uh, I need to know that he's light. I need my true north. I need to know where to go. And uh, we're going to sing where our hope is found. And so, again, for the guests, if you're checking it out, we don't boast in how great we are. Uh, we actually say that we're broken and we're in need of rescue. And we boast in the one who rescued us and made a way to rescue us. And there's nothing special about us that he offers that gift to each of us today. And for those who have been in love with Jesus and in a love relationship and a love affair with him, that's a reminder this morning that you come together and remind yourself and each other around you that there is hope, that we have something stronger and bigger that we can cling to and trust in. And so as we sing this, remind ourselves of the hope that we have. Come alive to the things of him this morning in this place. You've had your coffee, you're the second service, so you've slept in, you're great, okay? Your voices sound beautiful, you're all hired, you're the choir, it's beautiful. Sing these words to him, and if, you, if you're not a singer, if you're the guest, would you just think about the lyrics? Church is a safe place to wrestle, you need to hear that. You can wrestle with faith this morning. You can come in with doubts this morning, and God is big enough and strong enough and sufficient enough to meet you in those doubts. So we're going to sing this. We're going to think about it, and we're going to engage our heart and our mind this morning. Amen? Let's sing this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought. And Just you sing. What heights
just now we stand in power and victory and the victory is yours you have won you have defeated the mastery of sin and death and you offer that gift of life to each of us moment by moment decision by decision help us to take it this morning god for those that know you to not be so desensitized to the things of that but would we bring us back to a posture and position of awe of who you are this morning of your gospel that it still is saving us past, present, and future. For those who don't know you yet, God, that they would take a step closer to knowing who you are this morning, that you offer life and hope and peace and joy. So it's good to be with you. We pray now that you use your servant, Steve, to do what only you can by your spirit, penetrating the hearts of men and women alike, so that we may be conformed into the image of you and grow closer to you as a result. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name and said. Amen. Wonderful to worship through song with you. You may grab a seat. Does that make you feel more alive? Does that music make you feel more alive? Thank you. Uh, thank you for the music. Thank you for the words. Uh, what a gift that people can put words to music uh, that, that lift us, uh, that give us a sense of life, a sense of hope, uh, that reorient us to what we know is true, to maybe call us to what we're not sure is true. Um, uh, thank you. Well, so our series, Vision, Values, Outcomes, uh, is meant to help us understand uh, what it is we're going for. That's what the vision is about. What is our vision? And the way we're going about shaping our vision isn't saying this is our vision, as much as we're saying these are our values and these are our outcomes. We have a mission, we have values, we have outcomes, we have strategies that help us get focused and aligned. And ultimately, out of that uh, comes our, our vision. Uh, I love the fact that vision values outcomes, uh, VVO, VIVO, means alive. Uh, so we're focusing on what it looks like to be alive. Or as the Italians would say, VIVO, uh, lively, you know, uh, animated, uh, responsive. So as, as I've been watching the news, reading the news, and seeing all the other messages uh, coming at me, and, and as you have them coming at you, uh, there's this constant sense that so many things that are going on around us that could threaten us that we, we need to be prepared. And yet, at some point, you go, how can you possibly be prepared? Uh, so uh, here, here's the, the, the visual. Are you prepared for? And here's just a partial list of all the things that we're supposed to be prepared for. Uh, sickness, sorrow, war, earthquake, fire, flood, betrayal, disappointment, injury, illness, worry, failure, fear, adversity, Tragedy, death, reversals, antagonism, probably gum decay is in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> regrets, change, criticism, busyness, abandonment, identity crisis, family conflict, depression, marital problems, loneliness, boredom, hunger, thirst, decaffeinated coffee, all these things that can be so threatening uh, to us. And don't you feel like this guy in the picture? What? What? How can anyone possibly be prepared for everything? How can you possibly be prepared? Uh, and so what do we do? We just throw up our hands and say, I, I don't know. I'm just going to wing it. And yet, if we're not prepared, we're vulnerable. We're at risk. Did any of you watch the USC-Texas game last night? Did you see any part of it? Wow. Both of you. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Good. Okay. I'm not even going to use this as an analogy then. That's just, 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 let's, let's move on. Um, so I think the, the, the World Ping Pong Championships were going on yesterday. Anybody watch that? Is there, there's a lot of you who are watching that. No, so the thing is, is this, yeah, okay, I knew. There'd be one guy, one woman who, who's watching ping pong. The, the game, just so you do know, the USC-Texas game, it's this rival matchup. They haven't played in 11 years. Last time they played, it came right down to the wire. It did not end well for USC. They still talk about it, except that because they had cheated, lied, and stolen all the way through that era of their career, uh, the NCAA said, by the way, all those games are void. So now, of course, the people at USC say, you never won that game, and we never lost it, because it no longer counts. So it was, it's still, it was a big rival matchup uh, yesterday, and of course, it went down to the wire, the final one of these shocking last you know, uh, moment uh, games. And so if you were to interview... Uh, Either of the teams and the coaches and, and the, the guys from Texas who lost because um, they're losers and the, guy, uh, the guys from USC who won even though they looked like losers uh, the way they were playing, uh, you'd say, okay, so how did you possibly prepare for that? Double overtime, all these incredible plays, mistakes on both sides, injuries. How did you possibly prepare for that? 
And probably if, if you pushed them on it, they'd say, you know what? I just showed up every day for practice and listened to the coach. I just showed up every day for practice, did the drills, did the, did the routines, ran the plays, uh, reviewed, debriefed, analyzed, watched film. Uh, and, and so you can't prepare for a game like that. But you can be prepared. Why? Because to be prepared is to be adaptable. It's to be resilient. It's not having the killer app at, at the ready. It's not having some huge advantage that makes you feel like I don't even have to really do much effort. It's really putting yourself in a place where I don't know what the outcome will be. But whatever is shaping you, preparing you, molding your identity, those things are your primary commitments. Your primary commitments shape who you are. And either you're prepared for life or you're not. Because there's too many things to account for for us to be adequately prepared for all the things that are going to come at us. And so our mission as a church, uh, we think, is the best way for us to be prepared. And that is to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. To equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. And now that might be shocking to you. You think that's kind of a lame way of preparing. Except that we've found that if we are walking with Jesus, it's like walking with your coach. It's walking with that person who is your best guide in life. It's having their ear and them having yours and having this ongoing way of processing what you're living so that everything that comes up, instead of saying, oh, no, I didn't expect this, you say, well, here we go. What, what should we do here? You engage. The tendency for all of us is to withdraw, to run away, uh, to, to let go of responsibility, or to just say, uh, throw all caution to the wind, I'll become reckless. But God wants to prepare us uh, by equipping us to understand who he is and what it means to be who we are, to be fully alive and present to him, therefore fully alive and present in the world. Uh, last week, we talked about our, our core value number one, everybody needs Jesus, which is kind of a tough way to start off a series because you immediately offend probably half the people showing up who say, I'm not sure I believe that everybody needs Jesus. Uh, isn't that sort of a subjective, personal thing? Um, even if you're a believer, some people will say, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I, I don't think everybody needs Jesus. That sounds too offensive, provocative. And we're saying, you know, actually, it's so core to who we are. If you remove that, we don't know who we are. Not because we need religious props or, or cultural traditions to give us a sense of who we are. But, but the life that Jesus brings makes all the difference. And, and the way we, we described it last week was this. Jesus came to rescue and restore. He came to rescue and restore. All of us need to be rescued and restored. Again, that might, those might be fighting words. Uh, they were to people in Houston or Florida up until recent events. Yeah, um, who knew you needed to be rescued from a flood that nobody had ever seen before? How can you be prepared for a flood that nobody had ever seen before? A hurricane of a magnitude most people had never encountered before. The scope of which nobody had ever imagined before. An entire state. <laughs> I was at a party last night, standing in line, waiting at the, the street taco vendor, and the guys were talking about family members who had been overwhelmed, and their, their livelihood, their well-being threatened by the floods in Florida. The taco guy starts talking about his family in Florida who have lost everything, and, and plus that, they don't have flood insurance. They not only needed to be rescued, they have no assurance that they will be restored. So all of us are saying, okay, uh, I guess at some point, if I'm humble enough, I'd say I might need rescue and restoration, relief and redemption. And so this is what Jesus came to do, not to rub our nose in our sin, but to say, I'm here for you. Uh, I, I love this, this amazing monument in uh, Sao Paulo, in Brazil, uh, looming over the entire city. That's an incredible place. If you've ever been there, a beautiful place, and yet it's a mixed bag, right? You see this incredible statue towering over that gorgeous place. To the far left, though, of that picture are favelas, these incredibly horrible uh, shanty towns and slums uh, where life is cheap and kids and, and anybody not strong enough are routinely abused and suffer all kinds of indignities. And yet these beautiful gleaming high-rises and super uh, uh, wonderful places, you know, you think of Ipanema, uh, I've never met the girl from Ipanema, but I've heard about her. And, and, and this idea that there's these people who are wealthy beyond all measure living in the same place. And yet Jesus is outstretching his arms saying, I'm here for you. Now think about it. This, this is Jesus saying, I'm here for you. I've come to rescue and uh, restore. He's not saying this, uh, come at me, bro. He's not challenging the city. 
Rather, he's saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, and I will give you life. So that's the core value that we started with. Our core value, too, is this, that because he has come to rescue us and restore us, that's, that's centered in, grounded in, rooted in his word, the Bible, and prayer, a conversation with him. And the way I would summarize that would be this. Jesus came in grace and truth. He says, I didn't come to judge you. There will be a judgment, but I've not come to judge I've, or to tear down the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And I've come to give you good news. So he comes with grace. Uh, as somebody has said, God's riches at Christ's expense. He comes in truth. Tell, tell us the truth about us and us in this world, to tell, to tell us the truth about God. And so what is the Bible? Well, the Bible is rooted in geography. It emerges from history. It's a unified literary whole. We believe it is the word of God forever. Two things in this world will last forever, people and the word of God. All, everything else will be gone. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Two things uh, will continue, people and the word of God forever. And so we don't just hold up the Bible as a personal preference. We say it's, it's absolutely rooted in geography. You can go walk and see the places where it happened. It, is, uh, it, it, it's, it emerges from history. These are objective criteria that, that all history has to stand up against to say, did this or did this not happen? Did Jesus rise from the dead or did he not? Uh, and then when we read it from the beginning to the end, the, the, the first testament to the second testament, the Old Testament to the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, there's this incredible literary continuity uh, that a, a mutual friend of some of ours who uh, taught literature at UCLA uh, said, it's amazing to me to see the literary continuity and integrity of the Bible from beginning to end, from first word to last. And so we're convinced that it's rooted in geography, emerges from history, it's a unified literary whole. We conclude that it's the word of God. And we want to know. We want to know. And we want to know it critically. Let's look at the, the content here. Does it hold up to the light of day? Can you actually apply it in real life and see a real response that is, is better than any alternative? And then prayer. What is prayer? Well, it's, it's rooted in a relationship with God. It, it emerges from my life in Christ. It's ongoing developing relationship conversation with the living God. It's a unified way of embracing my mission. That is, all of my life comes together. And no matter what I do, if I'm an athlete on the field having a good day or a bad day, ultimately, my relationship with the living God organizes my life and integrates my life in a way that is much bigger than any particular event, any particular setback, any, any particular victory uh, or success. So all of a sudden, this idea of word and prayer becomes really compelling and powerful because it's the very thing that gives us what psychologists would call congruency, that our inner world is consistent with our outer world. We're not two different people. We're not compartmentalized people, bifurcated people. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of like that yin-yang thing, I'm good and I'm evil. No, it's, that's, an inadequate, that's an inadequate description or definition of a human being. We're whole beings, either listening to God or not, either benefiting from that relationship or not, and prayer is what allows us to enter into that fully. That's not to say that everybody is a natural prayer because most people are not natural prayers. And we're gonna talk about that in a moment. And the final thing is, well, what does it mean then to be rooted in word and prayer? How do those th two things go together? Well, being rooted in word and prayer, first of all, it's an organic analogy. Roots go deep. Roots produce fruits. Roots are for living things. You don't pull out a rock and go, oh, there's no roots on this rock, what happened? But if you pull out a, a, a vegetable or, or pull off a fruit, you go, it's attached to something with deep roots. So this takes me deep into God's work in my life because God himself is showing up and giving me a tour of my life. God is allowing me to see my life like I never understood it before. It's as if the house in which you live, the apartment in which you live, if the, if the architect and developer came over to your house, came into your apartment and said, I'd like to walk you through where you live and everything that's around it. And we'd like to tell you why we designed it this way or didn't design it in certain ways. We'd like to tell you what we were thinking to maximize your enjoyment, your experience, your capacity to thrive in this environment. It would blow your mind, wouldn't it? You'd have a new deep appreciation for the very place that you assume you know, the place you live. I love the way T.S. Eliot said it. We shall not cease from exploration, but at the end of all our exploring, 
we'll return to the place we started and know it for the first time. And so God wants to take us deep into our own life, into, into the world in which our life is uh, lived in context. Uh, and so we get to move from shame and hiding to freedom. We're ashamed often to be who we are. As much as we project an ideal image at our core, we're not feeling so okay. And even people who, who profess faith in Christ can say, I know it's all true and everything, but I, if anybody knew, I'm so ashamed to be me. And so we hide from each other, we hide from God. And, and God's saying, that doesn't work. Being rooted in prayer and my word allows you to be free, to acknowledge, yeah, here's who I am, but here's who God is, and he's in me. And so I become fully alive forever. So here's the dilemma that I bump up against into my life, and, and I'm, I'm taking the words from uh, Rabbi Saul, the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, a reluctant antagonistic initially follower of Jesus who became that we call the apostle to the Gentiles, a, full, a, a fully true blue Jew, a rabbi, who feels like it's his calling from God to take this message to, to out beyond the Jewish community. But here in the midst of this letter to the Romans, one of the most incredibly uh, eloquent and deeply reasoned theological documents in the Bible, he says, by the way, I don't understand what I do. It's like some self-disclosure here. You might call it oversharing after which he would have an emotional hangover. Oh no, I sent that letter out. This is people from generations, centuries, are going to be reading these words. Hey, by the way, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. Have you ever felt like that? Are you married to someone like that, perhaps? I mean, is, is your parent just like this? Is, 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 does this describe your child? I know, I know what they're talking about. I don't, know, I don't understand what he does. For he, he doesn't do what I want him to do, but what I hate that he does. This is our human predicament. So Paul puts it right out there. And he says, what a wretched man I am who rescued me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, this is my situation. I believe all these high-sounding, wonderful things, and yet at the end of the day, I realize I am a walking con contradiction. I'm a walking conundrum. I, my life is a mystery wrapped in enigma, right? But he says this, therefore... Because I'm saved, God's rescuing and restoring and grounding me in his word and prayer. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. These are deep words, but what they basically mean is this. I don't know what they mean. They mean something to him, apparently. but <laughs> That God is setting us free in a way that we don't have to keep self-judging. A dear friend of mine who's long gone, who was one of these epic people, I wish I could tell you his story, a guy named Tim Hansel. Google Tim Hansel. He's an amazing guy. And just to know him uh, was to be in, front of a, in the presence of a force of nature. He didn't, he, he'd read two books when he first went to Stanford uh, to play football. By the time he finished, he had a master's degree, and he ended up writing like a dozen books. He was a guy that grew up in a, a pretty small environment, and yet he ended up being a guy that sailed a, a boat around the world. He created more opportunities for more people. He, he, he was an incredible guy, but he wrestled with his uh, own inner, inner contradictions. And one time in front of a, thousands of people, he stood up and he said this, I'm learning not to should on myself. <laughs> uh, at the time he said it, in the 70s, uh, you know, uh, people were going, I can't believe you just said that. They kind of missed what he said. And he said it again. I'm learning not to should on myself. I hope you can learn not to should on yourself. I should do this. I should be this. How about this? How about flip it and say, Lord, what do you want me to be? I know you're going to shape me in that direction. And so this is what Paul is saying to us. We've been set free. This law that he's talking about, the inevitable consequences of doing my own thing don't end well. But the law of God, the very powerful presence of God in me transforms me. So he says in the same way, and this is where he gets into the, the prayer part. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Do you ever feel like when you're praying, you're groaning, even if it's not outwardly groaning, but you're kind of in an emotionally groaning mode, a spiritually groaning mode, like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. 
I'm so angry right now. I want to pray that they would be destroyed. Or, I'm so happy right now. I want to pray that it never ends. I, and, and if you've ever tried to pray in a group of people, many of you say, I could never pray in a group of people. Because in your mind, um, praying in a group of people is this spontaneous, uh, literarily eloquent, mellifluous, uh, you know, composed in real time, theological, spiritual essay. Because you've heard people pray that when you think, I could never do that. I'd be like, uh, Lord, you know, for sure just really want to, you know, kind of, for sure really just want to um, say um, lots of things for you, uh, like you're awesome. And, and you feel like I'm not even going to go there. It's going to be so embarrassing to when I pray, or I'm going to go, uh, uh, um, well, you know, uh, amen. But the fact is, if you did that, the people around you would say, yeah, me too. Me too. And little by little, we learn to articulate what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're learning, what we're yearning for. But the Spirit himself, God himself through his Holy Spirit, is the one who leads us and guides us into being able to articulate. And even at the end of our words, he carries us into the presence of God. He's already praying for us, preparing the way for us, and then gives us the capacity to grow into his word enough that we can articulate. You want to have good prayers? Read the Bible and pray what you just read. Let the Bible be your script for prayer. Not some automatic way, but just read it and say, all right, what does this mean for me? And I'll offer it up as a prayer of my own words. And you'll be set free. This is what the Spirit of God wants to do in us. So Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the quick answer is nobody. Because nobody has the authority to be against you. No, uh, no one has the authority, and all people lack the moral authority to stand against what God wants to do in your life. And he says, Christ Jesus, who died, and better yet, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What shall, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What shall move us? Right? What shall cause us to throw up our hands and walk away? Nothing and no one. He goes on, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, all the things you're supposed to be preparing for, aren't you prepared for those things? Paul's message to us is God is preparing you for that because he's with you and stands with you and for you and no one can stand against you. No one can separate you from his love. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, it doesn't make us arrogant and boastful. I'm awesome. What it makes us say is he is awesome. I didn't know where to go after the flood. And then this happened and that happened. And I had no idea what my life was going to look like. And it's been restored. And so likewise, we say, God has rescued me and he is restoring me. I was once a person who lacked hope. Now I have hope. I was once a person who was trying to fake it until I made it, and now I can just be me. I was once a person who was hiding from me and from everybody around me, and now I can be present to me and present to the people around me. I am free. I'm free to say, I don't know. I'm free to say, I'm sorry. I'm free to say, will you forgive me? I'm free to say, I forgive you. I'm free to say, I don't know, but I think God's word can tell us. I'm free to say, hey, help me understand this. You see the power of this? We're conquerors. Not dominating people, but we're conquering all those false gods, those false images of self that would rob us of the very thing God wants to give us through word and prayer. And so he, sends, he ends by saying this, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that give you confidence and hope hearing that? I hope so. How do we know this? God's word. Why? Because we're rooted in God's word. We say, wow, what does God's word want to tell me? Oh, wow, that's a great message. How do we process this? Prayer. Well, Lord, thank you for that word. Lord, I pray that I can live into the reality of this. Lord, I, I had no idea that you were interceding for me. Thank you. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for giving me the words to articulate what otherwise I feel tongue-tied to express. And how do we apply this? We prayerfully apply God's word every day. Everyday people being equipped to walk with Jesus every day. We get to prayerfully apply God's word every day. We read it, and throughout the day we say, wow, well, I wonder what I'm going to face today that God's word is, is preparing me for. 
So are you rooted in word and prayer is my question for you. Am I rooted in word and prayer? Uh, how about personal Bible study, uh, reading the Bible? Some people call it a quiet time. Start the day reading the Bible uh, or a more intensive study of the Bible. But if you don't have a plan, it's not going to work. You're going to poop out somewhere along Leviticus. You'd be, oh, man, I'm just getting some steam up through Genesis. Uh, I hit my stride in Exodus. Leviticus, not so much. It's pretty much uh, the electric cars on the side of the road where, where no plug is in sight, you know. Um, but by having a plan, uh, you can then power through and, and start to understand the whole narrative scope of what the Bible is. How about being in a life group? That's a great little mini community for people. Uh, for, I find it essential to be in a life group, to get with the guys and say, let's read a chapter of scripture and talk our way through it. And then, and then, okay, what's going on in your life? Share what's going on in your life. Hey, okay, how can I pray for you? So it's Bible study, sharing, and prayer, basically. The awesome ones have food. Uh, ours does not have food because we are guys. And every guy wants food, but nobody wants to prepare the food, bring the food, or share the food. Um, and if a guy does bring food and puts it in front of him, somebody will go, are you going to eat that? You know. Um, so what else do you do to be rooted in word and prayer? You pray about everything you care for, and you pray for everyone you care for. You pray unauthorized prayers. You pray unauthorized prayers. You don't have to ask anybody for permission to pray for them. It might sound funny to say it that way. I'm, I, I want so much revenge on that person, I'm going to pray that God would bless them. That's a crazy prayer, but that's what happens when we're grounded in word and prayer. And so we start praying in for anything and in everything. This is a picture of a man named Jim who, about 50 years ago, out in a, this whole area was one giant field that looked like this. And he got down on a knee with an open Bible and prayed for whatever God might do in him and through him and in this place going forward. And they did some great things, and then the church pretty much looked like it was dead. So they gave this church to another group. That group took it and tried to get it going and, and didn't do very well with it. So they, they sold it to a hapless, ragged uh, unwashed and untutored group of people, us. <laughs> and and, and uh, I got to meet with this guy. Scott McClendon and I sat down with this guy uh, fear, about four years ago. He subsequently has died. And he said, well, tell me what's going on. And as Scott and I told him what was going on, it was like his eyes filled up even as he was smiling. He goes, that's what I was praying for. That's what I said, when, when were you praying for that? He goes, oh, there's this crazy picture that was taken of me. And he sent me the picture. Because this is the, what I was referring to. I was praying that something like what you're describing would happen on this place. Grounded, rooted in word and prayer. We are most prepared for life when we are rooted in word and prayer. So Lord Jesus, that is our prayer. We pray it with confidence from your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Steve. That was very powerful. In just a moment, the ushers will come forward to receive our gifts to the Lord, our tithes and our offerings. If you are here today and there's something heavy on your heart that you would like prayer for, we are rooted in prayer, and we have people that would love to pray for you. You can go around the sanctuary to the front where we have a prayer garden, and there'll be someone from our prayer team there to say a brief word with you. And you can also write your prayer requests out in the back slip in the bulletin, and we'll send those out to our prayer chain. So you'll have many, many people praying for you this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us in your word. Lord, you give us each day our daily bread. Why do we know that? Because you say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So Lord, we give back to you now because you have given so much to us. And we ask that you use these gifts, Lord, multiply these gifts to reach more and more people with that saving, wonderful, saving relationship that you bring. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand firm. Hold on to the truth that we have all been made new. Once we were slaves, 
We've now been made free through our great high priest, Jesus, the precious cornerstone, our faith rests in him I love that song. Uh, I love the fact that Dom wrote that song. Um, don't you love that song? Uh, so I want to interview Dom. We're going to commission him, uh, consecrate him as a pastor of our church uh, in the next few moments. And you've heard about Dom. Some of you have seen him and said, is that the guy? And uh, here he is. This is the guy. And so I'm a real person. We Hi. welcome Dominic Nuncio. So Dominic, <laughs> thank you for being here. Oh, and for writing songs like, like that. Of course, yeah, I love it. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to a point where you were writing songs like that? What shaped you along the way? Yeah, so I grew up in a home where Jesus was uh, a central part of our lives. Uh, my name. Uh, Dominic means child of the Lord. Nuncio means messenger of good news. Everyone thinks it's Italian, but soy Mexicano, so we're Mexican. Um, and grew up in Little Italy, though, so I was confused. Um, uh, so uh, it's a good Italian name. Uh, so my mom named me my name. She's a smart lady. Two reasons she named me my name. 
She said, it would look really cool on an album cover <laughs> or it'd make a great pastor's name. And so it was really fun to give her the first CD I ever made and it was really fun to tell her that I was going into full-time vocational mini 20 years ago. Yeah, so I uh, started writing songs. My dad was a worship leader. We grew up at a church called Horizon just down the hill. And um, so he was a worship leader. Music was always in our house. Um, and I just started writing songs. I can't even remember when I started playing music. Uh, it was just always in our house. I was conducting to Mozart while records were on, and I was playing whatever instrument I could get my hand on. So it was always songwriting, but the whole point why a song wrote was I just wanted people to hear the gospel. And just it's such a low barrier entry point to just, you can sing a song. In fact, when I was 14, I had a regular um, gig at the Hyatt right here. Uh, on Tuesday nights, I would play top 40 music. They wouldn't let me on the floor of the bar. I'd have to stand outside, come in, play, and then come out. But it was such a low, yeah, cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was such a low barrier to just get into people's lives and start having spiritual forming conversations. So I've loved that ever since I was a kid. So that's how I'm doing what I'm doing. So what have you come to do here? Uh, so the job is executive pastor of ministries, and it's a it's an interesting role, and I love it. It's perfect. Um, so it's basically the best way I can say it is I'm the Swiss Army knife guy at the church, and um, I really want to help you do what you do great and take off all the things that you don't want to do, and I want to do that for everybody else too. So technically, my job oversees uh, children's, junior high, high school, young adults, families, small groups, discipleship in the church worship. Um, I'll clean a toilet here and there, but that's not my <laughs> job. And then uh, occasional preaching as well. That's it? Yeah. 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 That's all you do? The job description was like a novel, but it was <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, so what are you most excited about in this chapter of your life? As you come to do what God's called you to do, uh, coming back to San Diego with Tara and Asher and Amalia? So... First of all, we're really excited to be back in our hometown. We love San Diego. We love it so much that we felt over the years, we've been gone for seven years now, um, that God was just calling us back to San Diego. And it was mystery. We had no idea, literally no idea what we were going to. And we said no to a great church that we were working at. We said, we're leaving in February, we told them. We left July 3rd and moved to an address we'd never been to to no guarantee of anything. We just moved into mystery. We just knew God was calling us to come back to our hometown and renew a gospel movement. So because of that, we're so excited. We had no idea La Jolla Community Church even existed. Um, but it's such a cool role that the church has just been so gracious and the board has been so gracious to form and fashion for us. And so I'm really excited to just serve what a wonderful team you guys have here. And I'm so glad to be a part of the team. And I hope I can just serve them, make them better, be the biggest champions of them, pray for them, uh, give them guidance along the way with whatever experiences I have, and learn with them too. It's a, the roles never existed here and I've never done it. So um, I'm changing diapers and greeting babies and singing songs, it's gonna be amazing. So we're excited to do it all and excited to be a part of the church here. We're glad you're here. Yeah. And uh, you'll hear a lot more about uh, the process that brought Dominic here over the weeks and months ahead, uh, but that's enough for now, because what we want to do right now is ask anybody who's a trustee currently or has been a trustee or any member of staff to come forward and stand around Dominic. I mean, is Tara and Asher and Amalia come up and stand next to him. Uh, we want to commission him into this fantastic uh, and high and holy calling that God has called them to. It's my hot wife. <laughs> And my son, he's going to be 11 tomorrow, so he's really excited to be here, too. So just yeah. come on up. So a question for Dominic. Dominic, you have shown in word and deed that you are a disciple of Jesus. You have demonstrated your calling serving Jesus Christ as a pastor among his people. You have committed yourself to faithfully serving this congregation. So will you seek to serve the Lord and his people... With humility, integrity, energy, wisdom, imagination, and love. I will. And to the congregation, uh, the writer of Hebrews 13, 17 says it this way. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. So I ask you, will you pray for Dominic 
uh, and Tara and Asher and Amalia. Will you work with him? Will you uh, come alongside him to help this congregation fulfill its mission in Jesus Christ? If so, say, we will. We will. And so to the trustees and staff um, uh, who are your most immediate team, uh, here they stand around you uh, with hands on you, recognizing uh, God's call on your life and our confirmation of that call to this place. And so we are so delighted that you responded to that call, that all four of you have responded to that call, specifically Dom as a, as a pastor on the staff, but of course you are the first team um, supporting him even as you're supported by him. And as our commitment to support you as a family uh, as you support him. And so thank you for likewise answering that call. So Lord Jesus, uh, we uh, recognize this as a high and holy moment. We thank you, Lord, that you have been preparing Dom through his mom and dad, family members, friends, pastors, experiences, uh, life-changing, some disruptive. And Lord, you've tested and confirmed his gifts. You've matured him uh, as a leader among your people. You've given him a heart, not just for a, a congregation, but certainly that. Not just for a community, but certainly that. But you've given him a heart for your kingdom. So Lord, we pray that uh, you will provide everything he needs to fulfill that calling. That likewise, uh, we, in obedience to you and support of him and this family, would provide everything we can uh, to honor and support uh, his leadership and to uh, share with him the vision of not just being a healthy congregation, but being a healthy congregation that can bless the community and uh, honor your kingdom. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name and uh, for his glory and for the blessing of many people. Amen. The Don will offer us a benediction. Let's all stand together. Thank you for our welcome. We're so uh, grateful for it. Really excited for this next season of LJCC. Uh, here's, the, here's the benediction. It's what I pray over my kids every night, so I'm just going to pray it over you. Uh, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he give his your peace. And may you go knowing that you are so loved by the king and that he even likes you. They're different. He loves you and he likes you. He's thrilled about you today. So would you go transform by his love and then transform the community that you go to now. May the Lord bless you. Have a great week.